Hello, 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 and welcome to the a Full Quota podcast on One World Sports Radio. Remember, this is your cricketing podcast on the One World Sports Radio platform. We've got an EPL podcast. We've got some rugby broadcasts happening. So the most important thing for you to do um, is uh, to uh, subscribe to our channel, um, and you will get all these um, information uh, to you. Um, and also you'll be notified when we go live. Um, remember, you can also interact with us on these various platforms, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and on YouTube as well. YouTube is the primary uh, broadcast. We're actually currently live on YouTube, Facebook, and as well on Twitter on the One World Sports Radio um, channels there. Um, today, we've got an interesting uh, guest uh, to talk about how uh, the 100 eventually ended up. It's a new competition. We thought we'd hold off on talking about it until today. Um, we're also going to talk about T20 and going to the World Cup, and then we'll talk about what's going on with the protest. So hang on, hold on. There's going to be some drama towards the end. Um, <laughs> but yeah, let me just get how the guys are doing. Tempo, how are you doing? Yo, yo, I am busy, 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 busy. Um, but ah, all right. Um, after yesterday's news, I don't know. I feel strange i thought we we're moving in the right Forward. direction and then but yeah but we'll, like we'll hold on we'll hold that thought looks Sorry. like we're, we're yeah. playing like arsenal just pass sideways oh um, no, 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 no. <laughs> all right tim Not how arsenal, are you doing man. my man yeah, i'm doing good um yeah we'll, we'll obviously get get into the yeah more part of such later on but all good uh looking forward to this chat um we're, we're about to have with uh dan yes so what we have, and as, as as Tim has said, we've got Dan Weston with us today. He is a player recruiting analyst for Leicestershire County Cricket Club, um, as well as he's the Birmingham Phoenix. He also worked for the Birmingham Phoenix in a similar capacity in the 100 for both the men's and women's teams. He's got some interesting ideas on T20s for South Africa, so hang around once we get into that, because I, I think it's going to be quite an interesting conversation. So let's bring Dan on um and let's get him to let us know um about his world as a player analyst and a recruiter um hi dan how are you doing thank yeah you hi thanks so much for having me it's been looking forward to having a chat about this no yes it, it is quite um awesome and so um just to start off dan um just give us a I think for me, the interesting part, obviously, you're a player recruiter. So just give us, give me a, 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 well, give the viewers and the listeners a, a taste of um, how you got into the game and how you landed up at being a, a player recruitment specialist or an analyst. Yeah, sure. So I, I've always been very much interested in cricket from a young age. I'm all sports, really. I'm a massive sports fan from, you know, being a young child. Uh, always been pretty good at maths as well, particularly, like, you know, mental arithmetic, asking, ask, trying to solve problems and things like that, using numbers. Um, uh, in England, there's a sh TV show called Countdown. I don't know if you have it in South Africa. And, like, they have, like, uh, maths, six random numbers and, like, a big number, and you have to use the six numbers to solve solve the big number and stuff like that and i was doing those those type of things when i was like four years old and stuff uh, um and you know it's it always had that that interest and then um after university i did a degree in accounting so again quite math orientated background uh worked in the gambling industry for a long time did stuff like playing professional poker online things like that um which is uh, worth mentioning because there's a lot of skill set crossovers between pro poker, online poker, and what I do now in cricket. Because, for example, 
one of the one of the things that poker teaches you primarily is that it's a process driven uh, environment rather than a results orientated scenarios. So you, with poker, you can play amazing because there's still a luck element on a given day, you could still lose on another day. You could play badly and still win. And it goes to the same cricket, you know, you can play well and lose, you can play badly and win, small margins, fine margins, a lot of high variance in an individual match and probably in some tournaments as well, um, especially knockout tournaments like the World Cup, which obviously we're going to go on and speak to about later on. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of crossover. It helped me also do a lot of statistical analysis because I use a lot of statistical tools uh, to analyse my own poker game, uh, check out how opponents are playing and stuff like that. And, and, and the crossover between that and analysing batters and bowlers and teams and opposition scouting and stuff is actually really, really similar. So, so um, you're plenty of crossover. And then about five years ago, I, I, I sort of like, because I developed a lot of those skills, um, I thought, well, I'll build a cricket database and see, see where I go from there. And then that was difficult to get out of once I started because I started realizing that like teams were making more mistakes than I thought and commentators didn't really have a clue what they were talking about and stuff and uh, yeah and then I started building more and more and more databases and then it turned itself from a hobby eventually into to something of a business so it's very difficult to get roles it's, as, as a non-ex-player you know it's very very difficult to get a decent job in cricket um, so you have to put, you have to work really hard to try and prove your your worth, both in terms of marketing yourself, but also in terms of when you do get jobs, you feel like you have to work twice as hard. You shouldn't, it shouldn't be like that, but I feel like you have to work twice as hard to prove yourself because you, you you're not a known quantity and you're not an ex player. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's been a difficult journey to get get decent jobs, but I mean, I'm fortunate now that that, that I've. Got a couple of good roles, um, and uh, yeah, we'll see what happens from there. Hopefully, hopefully, we'll pick up a couple more, and uh, you know, some other franchise leagues and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, and hopefully, and the results, the results of the teams that I, that I work for have gone pretty well this year, generally. So, obviously, we spoke about the, you know, the hundred. Obviously, a bit very disappointed. Obviously, we didn't win the final on Saturday, but uh, <laughs> we, we topped the group stage. I, um, we we um, outperformed team all the teams on a lot of different metrics as well which was something you know which coincided with our recruitment plans too so that was good so we, we hit those objectives at leicestershire uh i think that it's important to rationalize the fact that that we have a lower budget compared to pretty much every other county so even with, if we were to come halfway that's that's a pretty decent success this year so far we've actually got a higher win percentage this year than at any year for the last 10 years so, so that I think I think these I think what I'm trying to say is that these things show that analytics and uh, an unconventional approach, if you like, <laughs> actually do work. Yeah, I know. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna delve into the whole analytics versus eye test. Um, simple. Yeah, I was I was actually going to ask um, a question along those lines because obviously for us laymen out here, we just pop onto quick info. We're like, look at the strike mm-hmm. rates. Look at the the. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the, the run rate, sorry, the average. That's the other one. Sorry, uh, <laughs> puzzled. But how? What? What other stats are there? Like, can you give us like a a, a quick look into the type yeah. of stats that you look at? Do you look at like strike rate per ten balls on this field on this day? <laughs> you know, like like demystify it for me. 
Yeah, I'll I'll leave the uh, random stuff like the fastest test century scored on a Tuesday to a few people in Twitter on Twitter who think <laughs> I really love that sort of stuff. I don't. Um, so basically, yeah, there's loads of stuff. I mean, it's difficult to even know where to start. So. So, for example, you talk about average and strike rate. I, I actually don't really value, in T20 at least, I don't really value average as a particularly useful metric because um, strike rate and boundary percentage is is far more valuable in terms of determining success for teams. Um, and I actually look at balls per dismissal rather than average. So I look at balls per dismissal and strike rate or balls per dismissal and boundary percentage to be a little bit more specific. Um and you can classify players' skill sets by their boundary percentage, so how aggressive they might be, for example, uh, and how much intent. Intent is a bit of a buzzword at the moment, and um, mm-hmm. you can gauge a player's intent level pretty accurately by their boundary percentage over a decent sample size. Um, you might want to split those up by, for example, different phases, power play, middle overs, death. You might want to look at spitting them up further against pace bowlers and spin bowlers or various spin types. But all this kind of information will enable you to build uh, plans for dealing with an individual opponent in, an, in a given match. So we might say, for sake of argument, we've got a, a right-hander and he's really weak at the ball turning away from him. So we might want to bomb him with like slow left arm or, or, or some leg spin or something like that. Um, and that might be a, a viable plan against a specific opponent. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of things that you can really delve into that are a lot deeper than those sort of basic quick info metrics. And you know, I haven't scratched the surface of some of the the advanced metrics that I use for recruitment, which I can't really talk about in the public domain because uh, at, the, at the moment, at the moment, I mean, this year in the blast in England, we, we I managed to find uh, Leicestershire the the top run scorer and the top wicket taker for our overseas players. So um, yeah, I can't give away all the secrets. Um, would you be able to give us an idea in what you saw in people like Marcus Harris, Josh mm. Inglis, and 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 particularly for our South African viewers, when you when you initially signed Vian Mulder, mm-hmm. um, you've you've told me previously that um, Vian Mulder, it was quite difficult to get um, footage of of him. So in, what was it about him that attracted you to, to, to initially sign him before before you had to replace him? Well, yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, um, I can't go into like, massive specifics with regards to specific players, but with, with VM, I think it's important to realise is that he he's far ahead of the curve for players of his age and has been for a long time, which... Um, illustrates, you know, he didn't even play like semi-pro cricket in South Africa. He went straight into franchise level. Um, so he, you know, his, his stats are real, whereas I think some players, you know, their first class stats, they might, they might have played 80% of their matches in, say, three days rather than four days, and it's mm-hmm. a lower standard, and that, that inflates their first class numbers. You've got to be kind of very aware of that. So with Vivian, his numbers were real. His numbers were very, very good. Um, we, 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 you know, there's not that many players who, who but in the top six and, and can be a frontline bowling option or a very viable bowling option. I think he would go pretty well in, in English conditions as well. And um, we, we thought we were getting, getting 102 players for one, really, if you like. Um, and, and and there's not many players around the world who can do that. So I think that, that's that's really important. So that gives you kind of some insight into what I might be thinking about there. So there's a scarcity of resources argument as well as an individual player's quality. And I think that that's... That's something that any recruit really try and think about a little bit because 
you know, when you're prioritising recruitment, for example, in England, there's like 101 really good P20 batters, but there's not that many good bowlers. So there's two, you're shopping in two different markets, effectively, in terms of that scarcity of resources. And um, so that, that was that was some thought process towards VM. Um, Marcus was someone who had done consistently well in, in Sheffield Shield. I built a model that showed me that Sheffield Shield was a slightly higher standard than county cricket. And uh, generally players very, very slightly improved their Sheffield Shield numbers in county cricket. And uh, yeah, he was, uh, he did a great job for us as well. Uh, and yeah, English and Nav in T20. So uh, Josh, um, again, that was very data-driven model, model outputs. He was good at the ball turning away from a right-hander as well as faces to him, which was kind of like something we were really looking for, a player who could do well for that. And uh, now for someone I've been watching for two plus years, as soon as he started playing franchise cricket, and I, I, I like what I see from him uh, in terms of like multi-phase flexibilities, uh, in terms of the phases that he bowls in. So it is quite good for flexible plans, and um, he's got a... Good number of variations, uh, which I find batters find quite hard to pick. And uh, yeah, he's a uh, he's a passionate guy, clever guy. Uh, I like the, I like the fact you know he gives the batters some send offs and stuff sometimes. And so he's he's a guy who's up for the battle, not up for the up for that. So yeah, uh, quite quite a good character. I like that as well. Okay, um, let's just have a let's go just into the hundred. Um, obviously, Lester shared the T Twenty Blast, and then mm. afterwards there was the hundred. Um, what is the what is your opinion, and what's the general consensus in the country around the hundred? Have more people gone to, um, to, to 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 love it? And also, are there what 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 learnings can people take into T Twenty with the hundred? Um, okay, so. You asked about a general consensus, and I think mm. that the, the, there isn't one because, unfortunately, it, it has polarised cricket supporters in, in England. Um, so there, there's a general consensus certainly in my view doesn't exist. I wish it did, but I, I, I personally would, regardless of whether whether I worked in the league or not, I think that the high-quality franchise league needed to come to England, be it a new format or very, you know, it's not really a new format, it's a slightly different format. Uh, or or, or um, whether it was T20, it didn't really bother me in that, in that respect. I, but I do, I was strong on the fact that we needed a real high quality domestic tournament because as good as the T20 Blast is, it's 18 teams. So there's that clear dilution of quality bet between teams because you can't have 18 teams full of really good players, but you can have eight teams full of really good players. And it, uh, it's a, there's a clear point I made on Twitter the other day is the fact that in the blast, you know, there's it's probably pretty similar to South African domestic cricket in my view. I think pretty similar dynamics in that there's usually two team, two two at least two players in every team who are like maybe they're not great hitters, they nerdle it around a little bit, and they don't really have like big hitting in their locker. And it's the same in the blast. And and then also in the blast, there's like one or two opposition bowlers, you know, you can probably target and get away with targeting. Whereas a lot of the time in, in the 100, I felt that there was no real let up in terms of opposition bowler quality. You know, they just kept on coming after you. And and, and the same with batters, they were kept on coming after the bowlers. There was no, there was no consolidation. There was no 
players who you know they didn't have the big shots in their locker. They, everyone had that intent, and I felt that 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 was indicative of a, of a higher standard of competition. Um, and also, there was more overseas players, and there was a big discussion about the quality of the overseas players. But to be honest with you, I thought the quality of overseas players was actually pretty high. What I felt was people got confused a little bit about was the fact that they confused quality with reputation. Because, you know, like, people will say, oh, I don't know, Josh Inglis came in or, or, or Adam Milne came in and, and they're not big names. Well, actually, they're better than most of the big names. So, and they're, they're far better than most of the big names. So, um, you know, like, what, what, what do you want? Do you want guys who are like declining and with a massive reputation, but really not that great anymore? Or do you want guys who are actually really good? And, and I would, as a recruiter, of course, I want guys who are really, really good. I don't care about reputation. The reputation doesn't bother me in the slightest. So it, it's, it's, I, I think that there was a lot of agenda against the hundred to start with, from a lot of kind of traditionalist and county supporters and stuff like that. I, I, as the tournament progressed, after the, particularly after the wild card draft, and as the tournament progressed in terms of the matches, I felt that the number of people who were against it dwindled quite a lot. So there was a lot of people who were like, "Okay, well, I've grown to grown to accept it," and in, and in some cases, I think also grown to enjoy it, which is great. Um, and yeah. From my perspective, it was a fantastic experience, but also the fact that I saw so many, all the grounds were packed. I saw so many people enjoying themselves and having a great time. I, you know, after every game we played, I used to do like a Twitter search at Birmingham Phoenix because I wanted to see what people wrote about our team. And the amount of people who you, know, you do a Twitter search and it will come up with like, you know, a parent with a photo of their, them and their children saying, we've had the best day out at, at, at watching Birmingham Phoenix and they've all got Birmingham Phoenix kit and stuff like that. And, and I just think that's absolutely amazing that, that we can help contribute that to to a family and hopefully children who are going to grow up enjoying cricket and, and, and loving the game and wanting to emulate guys like Mo, Liam Livingston, Adam Milne, people like that, you know, guys who, who, are, who are their role models basically in terms of what they've achieved in cricket and, and their level of performances and stuff. Uh, and I just think that's fantastic. And, I, and, and whether people agree or disagree with me, that's absolutely fine. But you don't see a lot of families at four-day matches in England. You don't see a lot of people at four-day matches will stop. But, but uh, uh, um, families and stuff and kids having a great time, you just don't see it very often. But this was, I think, a really good vehicle to, to, to get a lot of new fans into the, into the sport. And that can only be good for the sport in general moving forward you know that sounds so exciting like i won't lie when you spoke about family it, it, it hit it played on the heartstrings you know yeah. it's all about family yes that's, that's yeah, okay. yeah. That's, I, I love speaking that. oh sorry i'll go yeah no i loved i loved seeing that that was agree with you completely yeah so you're speaking about um initially when you came into like your role as as the the main stats guy, the stats guru that you've noticed a lot of teams making a lot of mistakes and teams like RCB come to mind where, as you mentioned, it's all about reputation. You got like the big yeah. names there, but in terms of quality, nah, they leave a lot to be desired. They're not getting trophies. So what are the types of like mistakes that teams usually make with recruiting, um, adding to like reputation over quality, you know? 
It's interesting you raise the RCB example. I, I actually think they're doing a little bit better now than they have done for no. years. So, yes. so uh, they seem to have uh, been working pretty well with their recruitment strategies of late. So, so I, I endorse a lot more of their strategies this year than perhaps they might have done before. Um, I think I think a lot of mistakes we'll make. Okay, so one, they don't understand the um, the difference in standard and the different dynamics from one league to another. So I'll give you an example. So um, it's pretty it's pretty well known the the IPL teams love Australian players, and and and, and I think that they that at some at some stage that phase was fairly justified, but not quite fully justified. But in the, in the last few years, I, I don't see the big bash being as a higher standard as it used to be, and the IPL teams still valued the players the same, even though the standard has dropped. And it's a lot easier to bowl in a big bash against not the best calibre of batter and on big boundaries. And then when you go and play at the IPL, you have know, small boundaries and amazing batters. And it's not a surprise to see Australian bowlers struggle on a general basis in, in the IPL from that perspective. There's a lot of stuff like recency bias that we spoke about big bash. Oftentimes, the IPL auction will coincide with the big bash at some point. So like, Maybe the first half of the big bash, will, a few players have done well, get picked up by IPL teams because they're like in the in the current eye, if that makes sense. The, you know, they're, they're on TV doing well and stuff. There's that recency bias. A few times that's happened with West Indies as well. They've had a conveniently organised T20 series against India about a week before the uh, IPL auction. So a few of the um, IP, uh, West Indies players did well against India. Um, yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, um, are, um, yeah, are picked up for big money. Um, I think that coaches, sometimes they recruit known quantities too much to them. So, like, for example, they want to pick players that they know maybe some of their friends, uh, things like that. Owners get involved, which tends to lead to emotional, uh, non-logical decision-making. Um, there's also other things that influence poor recruitment, stuff like un not understanding of role clarity. So, for example, buying a bowler who bowls in the middle overs and then expecting him to bowl at the death and be a superstar, which just, this just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, there's plenty of stuff. Uh, so so many so many mistakes that teams make. I'm trying to think. Uh, they don't value uh, the right metrics a lot of times. So a lot of teams prioritise dot ball avoidance over boundary hitting, when dot boundary hitting is uh, proven to be a more winnable strategy. If that makes sense. Just sorry, say that again. Boundary, boundary hitting versus dot ball avoidance. So, for example, some players are are like very risk averse. So they don't like hitting boundaries because they don't want to get out, but they will try and like rotate the strike and, and avoid dot ball. So I call it like dot ball avoidance. Uh, whereas other players, they don't care if they dot up because the amount of boundaries they hit massively outweighs the dots, the, the, the decreasing value from the dots. You know, someone like Chris Gale would be a historical example of that. Someone who, you know, he has a high percentage of dots, but he also has a high percentage of boundaries. And, and, and historically, that's that's been a strategy that worked for him. So... Dot ball avoidance doesn't tend to win you as many matches as boundary hitting does. So it's a poor strategy to sign dot ball avoiders on a general basis, but teams still love them.
This is why I, I would tell on the show, Paul. I want him to debunk that theory about dark balls. Hmm. Um, uh, no, what I want to just ask is um, with the 100, did your hmm. approach in terms of recruitment change? With the slight changes that they have, so having five ball overs, having the bowler bowl allowed to bowl ten ten balls straight, does that yeah. does did that change your approach at all in terms of who you picked? Um, a little, a little bit, yes and no. Um, no, because no one really knew what the impact of ten ball overs was going to be in advance because it was a new concept that no one had ever seen before. I think I think we all had ideas about how how it might play out, and I actually think that my ideas were pretty accurate in advance, but um, there were certainly some other areas where I think it was a learning curve for a lot of teams, and I think some teams made some mistakes with that as well. Um, so we didn't know how that was going to play out, so we couldn't really factor in decision-making that much with the, the, the double overs and stuff like that. Um, with regards to the difference in format, I think the mo the, the the most um, the biggest difference is the fact that you've got twenty balls less and a, a lower percentage of power play balls as well. So that's th those those factors are important to to bear in mind. Uh, so if you've got twenty less balls, but you've got the same amount of wickets, that's you should, in theory, value wicket preservation slightly less than you would in T20. And therefore, you should look to, to dial up the aggression a little bit with your batting. Okay. Um, that's an interesting one. So if you look at the other T20 tournaments around the world, uh, well, especially ours, what are your thoughts around that? Because uh, I've always thought that, well, actually, let's not talk T20 tournaments. Let's talk about actually international teams because we're going to a World Cup. The style of cricket teams mm. play. Um, like, where do you think certain countries are um, in terms of the way they play? I know South Africa, I think we were talking dodgeball avoidance um, and, and, and things like that. And we're always thinking that England always at the, at the front of the curve. But yeah, so if you're looking at the style of play and the way in which teams are playing T20, what countries are on the cusp and what countries uh, do need work and what, what are the different styles? Um, so I think like there's there's two different styles and both of them are fine, but you have to understand the strengths and weaknesses of, of both. But then there's a lot of teams who sort of fall between the two and don't really have that clear strategy or identity or brand of cricket that they play. Um, I, I think maybe you could even put South Africa in that. I would probably put um, actually, Pakistan possibly as well would be in that bracket where they, they've not really got an identity at the moment. So you've got one extreme, which will be England. They're just going to try and hit you out of the match with a load of batters, decent batting depth, and, and, and hitters, plus Milan. Um, Milan's not a hitter. Every time I watch him, he just hits us, bro. <laughs> but the flip side is that I don't... Well, I don't value some of their bowlers particularly highly. Mm. So, so they could easily be hamstrung by by those issues with their bowling group. So, because they're going to concede a higher percentage of boundaries, I think, than other teams or some other teams, they they will need to hit more to win those matches as well. So it's like a, a double edged conundrum, if you like. 
On the reverse side, then you've got teams with a really strong bowling attacks who who maybe they don't have those hitters so much. So, that, uh, you know, if you're looking at franchise cricket, it's a model that Sunrise has Hyderabad had in, uh, uh, for a while. Perth Sport just had it when Justin Langham was there. Sussex have done it pretty well in England as well over the years. Is that they, they've got such a good bowling group, they just try and restrict teams to like 150-odd, chase it down pretty easily, just knocking it around. Or, or you know, even if they hit like a 140, 150, 155 kind of score back at first, they'll back themselves to the, defend it with their quality bowling attack as well. So you've got like strong bang lineups on one side, strong bowling lineups on the other side. And then West Indies are probably pretty similar to England in being very batter heavy. Um, uh, and then you've got a few other teams sort of on that scale in between, if that makes sense. Um, with regards to South Africa, uh, I don't. I don't see them as one of the favourites for the World Cup. Um, I see, I see probably England and India as the favourites. But there's, because it's a bit like the hundred. You wouldn't really want to put like huge amount of confidence into you think which team is going to be like, yeah, you know, who's going to win, or you wouldn't want to be such a so absolute because you know most teams have got some pretty good players. You take with one or three players on that team as a day out, you they can still win the match. And, and in a knockout tournament, it's high, vol- high volatility, high variance. And uh, yeah, that, that that's important to understand as well, you know. And even if you're like, say, 40, 60 underdog in two knockout matches, you're still going to win the tournament 16% of the time. So the best team doesn't always win a tournament. I'm pretty strong on that. Um, but a lot of teams will have a chance, but they're going to need their star players to have a day out. Okay. All right. Um, where do you think South Africa need to improve um, in terms of, of terms of this format? And while there are other good uh, T20 competitions around the world, what do you think South Africa need to do to make theirs uh, more competitive a more competitive one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go with the national team first. So I think there's a few skill set deficiencies which the national team have right now. First is a general lack of of very aggressive batters, guys who average over twenty percent boundaries. Um so for example if they face a hundred balls, they hit over twenty of those balls of boundaries. Very, very few players in the domestic pool or in the, the international team have that dynamic. And, and if they do, they usually have a really low balls per dismissal, so they're just like a kind of slogger, basically, and get out pretty quick. Uh, whereas England have got like guys who have like 20-plus boundary percentage and 20-plus balls per dismissal, and they're nowhere near the national team. But, you you, you know, if, if, they, if, they, if they were playing for South Africa, they'd be superstars, like in the national team, no doubt about that. Someone like Go Clark would be a really good example of that, I think. Mm. Um, so, so you do their... their um, there's a there's a lack of hitting quality or lack of hitting depth in the local player pool. I also think that you can get at the South African team by bowling a lot of spin. Um, their batters don't tend to strike that well against spin compared to other teams. And it's interesting because I think you played in West Indies fairly recently in a, in a T20 series. And they didn't exploit that at all. So I'm not sure who was running their um, opposition scouting for West Indies. They didn't. They didn't. I think in one game, Chris Gale was their only spin bowler used, which kind of tells you a lot about like their their lack of their lack of exploiting South Africa in that in, in that series in terms of that spin weakness. Um, I also think that you lack a 
a real high quality uh, right arm leg spinner. Uh, and there is a guy who can do it. And I spent the last month. I spent the last month with him. Yeah. <laughs> so just to clarify for your listeners that that's him around to here, who is uh, 42 years old, but still an incredible bowler. Uh, and and an even better guy. He's a fantastic man. I, I really enjoyed spending the last month with him. Um, so so I, I personally, if I was if I was involved with the South African national team, I would definitely have Imi in the spot as well. Uh, and um, probably the last area, I think I think you lack a hitting all rounder, a real aggressive hitting all rounder. You know, like a uh, I think of some names. Oh. Like um, Andre Russell type player or Hardik Pandya type player or Chris Morris, yeah, but Does he that work. It, it, it would work, but he doesn't really seem like in complete favour in the national team a lot of the time. Oh yes, we know that. We're just naming him because yeah, 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 he's, yeah. he's on the outs. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've got Pretorius, but uh, he wasn't available for the West Indies series. Yeah, I but think... his strike rate is is, is over one hundred and fifty. Mm, yeah, but at the death, you need a lot more than 150. Yeah, 170, 80. 170 plus, yeah. Sheesh. What are the There's progressions? What are the progressions that you would see in a, in a, in, in batsmen in the different phases of the thing with a strike rate or even with a, a boundary percentage? Um, so, broadly speaking, a strike rate, so like, a boundary percentage. I, for recruitment purposes, I wouldn't even look. At someone who's got a boundary percentage below one, about below sixteen percent. So I, I, every... I would draw a line straight through them. Okay. Huh. Huh. But then in the back end, for instance, if you're looking for a, a number six hitter, how many, must that be like a twenty-five? Twenty plus, easy, yeah. And then, as a, in the, in the power play, must that be also twenty? Yeah, I mean, guys who strike well in the power play tend to tend to do about one forty plus. There's a few like guys like you know Will Jackson, England, who who just absolutely tees off and smashes it. Adam Lyde is another domestic player who doesn't get national team recognition. He does plays a similar role. He hasn't had the best year this year, but he's he's got long term pretty good data in, in that area. Then, then there's plenty of other examples as well. So there's, there's guys in England who don't even get close to the national team who can strike at like 140 plus in the power play, like no drums at all. You know, they'll even strike at like well over 120 for their first 10 balls that they face and stuff like that. Like they they, they don't start slow at all. Okay, and, and and then so this idea, because obviously some teams like Pakistan and South Africa, which are similar, mm. will have a guy like Baba Azam and maybe even mm -hmm. a team of them at the top who yeah. don't have the high boundary percentages, but they are mm -hmm. big on dot ball avoidance. Yeah. Um, has that role kind of diminished with where England and India have taken the the T20 game? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it, I think it has. Um. Now, I'm pretty strong on this. So, I, I don't really value a, what people, many people call an anchor batter. Okay? Mm. So, um, let me try and explain this with, you know, pretty articulately. So, you can only have an anchor batter if your bowling lineup is really good. Okay? Because you're trading off boundary hitting by having an anchor in your team. So, then you have to have the positive trade-off of boundary prevention. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, so, it does. So, yeah. so you, yeah. if you have a guy who's not a good hitter, you have to have really good boundary preventers. And that's why I'm not convinced about Dawid Milan in the England team. Because he he's not a good hitter, in my view. 
he's an anchor kind of player. But he can hit because he's got his death strike rate is incredible. So mm-hmm. actually he does have the upside, but he I think he just chooses not to use it until later on in his innings. But because England don't have the best bowling group, they 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 putting Milan in, into their team because they need a team with seven or eight hitters in it because their bowling group is is in my opinion below average. But then if you had Milan in uh, I don't know um Australia with like Cummins and Stark and all these world class bowlers, then he probably would work pretty well because you don't because you've got bowlers who can keep the opposition boundary percentage down. So you want a fairly stable batting lineup because you're chasing lower scores generally. But 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 it's it's all it's it's hard. To, it's, it sounds weird, but you're kind of looking to. Your, bat, your batting group is almost determined by your bowling group, if that makes sense. Okay, that makes sense. So, yeah. essentially, you have to look at your bowlers and see how many boundaries and how many runs they can preserve or protect. Yes. And then you then figure out how you can actually get the maximum amount of runs you think your bowling group can yeah. get in, a, in, a, in an average exactly. game. Yeah, precisely. Uh, uh, and... And that's so you have to be aware of your bowling group sports when you're picking a batting group, whose strengths and weaknesses. But but there's there's certain players who I think are anchors, and some players who some people call anchors who I don't think are anchors. So it's like uh, I call some players like a facilitator. So uh, a facilitator would be someone who, by their presence in the team, enables everyone else to maximise their boundary percentage. And it's and it's a fine line between being an anchor and a facilitator. But a facilitator would generally have better hitting upside, and they're better at pacing their innings, and they can pace their innings accordingly to the match situation a lot better than a traditional anchor who will just bat slowly no matter what. So there's there's a slight subtle definition between uh, anchor and a facilitator, and in terms of those guys who maybe strike around or below average strike rates. And that's just around strike rotation, giving the hitter on the other end as many balls as possible yeah. while you get yourself yeah. into the game. Yeah, or, or just because you're looking to butt through and you're mm. giving them the strike. The way the anchors fall down is that they they look to butt through, but they don't give the other players the strike a lot. So they're, they're playing mm. like a, they're chewing up a lot of balls, but they're not accelerating the scoreboard. So if you look at it like this, right, if you have a guy who gets 30 off 30 and gets out and you're in New Zealand pars 170, right, your other batters need to score 140 off 90 to get 170 in T20. Which is basically where we where we are as a national side. That's basically mm, where yes. we are at the moment. <laughs> so you if can't you break one, 170. If, if you have right. one vote for 30 off 30, the rest of your team need to strike at like 155 or something to hit 170 as a total. So mm, you, can, you can see the impact of those low strike rate innings on on um, on, on teams and, and their totals overall. I didn't see it like that. Uh, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's crazy. Are there any like statistical anomalies? Like you look at the stats, you're like, this guy is he's not as good as people think. But then they keep playing games, um, not like yeah. saying that like like they're trash or anything. But somehow they still have match-winning innings, even though the stats 
are are, are speaking a different or speaking a different language or telling yeah. a different story. Yeah, they're definitely every every player can have a day out on its day, but the, the chances of them having a day out are lot. So I won't say the player who, who who it is, but at Leicester this year, I I said that one of the opposition players wasn't a key wicket. And they ended up hitting about 60 or 35 balls against us. So like, he still had a day out against us and made me look a bit of an idiot. But what you have to understand is, is that he might have had like a 3% chance of playing that innings. Whereas like uh, uh, De Villiers might have about a 50% chance of playing that innings. But because the 3% chance is still a real chance, you know, that's if that makes sense. So, so mm-hmm. it can happen on this day. His days just happen less often. Makes sense. I think it's important not to look in like absolute terms, like one way or the other. You have to look at like the likelihood of an event happening rather than the the uh, being being ruled by the actual outcome. Hmm. Thanks. Wait, I've got, I've got just, I've just got one, one final question from from my end. Is there a South African player that that you have seen? That um, the national side could use with with this World Cup and another one next year is is a somebody somebody that the selectors are not picking that you oh, are that you've mentioned one already. Oh, I, outside of Tahir, outside of Tahir, perfect, perfectly a batsman. I'm just looking for that. Uh, you possible question there. Um, I don't. I don't really. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't. I don't think so he, hugely, but uh, my dog's my dog's come to say hello. Hi, dog. Yeah. <laughs> but, but also, also um, there's not enough coverage of the South African domestic cricket in England for me to really go and mm. say this guy he should be playing. I don't. There's not. There's not much on the TV at all. Okay. Um. So. Obviously, you said you started this database of stats when you were when you were growing up. About if somebody wanted to like start their own database for the South African guys, how does it start? Do you just um, do you just go to Trikipo? Is there like a a database, um, yeah. or do you just literally sit there like a scorer? And <laughs> yeah, no, no, I I I, I try to refine free, freely available databases. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. That's perfect. Yeah. Okay, that, that that makes sense. Um, you know, Dan, thank you very much uh, for joining us. You've given um, us and our listeners and our viewers a lot to think about regarding this T Twenty team and 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 how to see the the shorter format of the game. Um, really, really do appreciate you spending your time with us. And yeah, thank, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been really great. Thanks for thanks for Thank you very much, Dan. The kick at the Yes. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sure. Awesome. <laughs> Thank nice. you. That's that's Dan Weston, guys. Let's just give ourselves a little bit of a break and we'll come back and discuss it on the other side of this. Hi, everyone. I'm Denisha Devnarain, and you're watching the Full Quota podcast on One World Sports Radio.